This the remix. And uh, earlier in the week on BC and the Sunshine Man, head coach Lon Kruger joined the guys. Started off with Tyler Bischoff from ESPN Radio. And Lon Kruger erupts. Joel, a couple of dribbles, gives it back to Kruger. Kruger for three from the right side, gets down, makes another one, a chance for another four-point play. That could be Kevin Kruger's second four-point play in the second half. You barely see, sometimes you barely see that once in a game. You barely Kevin see Kruger's going to see it twice in the same half. The Las Vegas Journal Review. Kevin's going to set the offense. Gaston Osenge sets a pick. Kevin's going to fire a three. That three is good. The Rebels have tied it. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love this guy. Was that the same game Kevin Kruger got in gas in the face? I don't know. I don't have that kind of memory. I do not remember that. Um, and Lon Kruger erupts. Uh, <laughs> we should also note, I think I've met Mike Simon before. Although okay. I, I'm now confused about all of the mics involved in this show. <laughs> I'm fairly certain I met Mike Simon outside of Thomas and Mac last season when they played the, the fishermen. Back. Well, the one well, for, the, our, they're our all fishermen. No, but they're all, anyone named Mike is now fishing. And but he didn't show up with a fishing pole. So you're talking I don't know. about the one who's our sharp. Yes. Yes, Mike I think Simon. So, if I have not confused myself. Also, uh, Brady on Twitter let us know that he went fishing for sharks at Mandalay Bay in the Golden Nugget. And security was not pleased. Oh, Brady had a few. Brady had a few starkest drinks if he was doing that. So uh, we appreciate it, Brady. <laughs> so Kevin Kruger is uh, UNLV's new head coach. And first question for you in the nine o'clock hour. We jumped into a lot of this at seven a.m. If you missed it, it'll be on the podcast lvsportsnetwork.com. But first question for you: How quickly does Kevin Kruger need to win? Like, what's the timeline here? Because if it was T.J. Otzelberger, he was going to be under some pressure to win this upcoming season. But ultimately, based on his contract, Otzelberger was going to get until his fourth year. He was going to have two more years to really win before there was any, you know, genuine he he's going to get fired type of situation. But what's the timeline on Kevin Kruger? Three to four? Okay, yeah. let me ask you this. Quantify winning. Like we talked about with Otzelberger like- Competing in the Mountain West and being on the NCAA tournament bubble. Not necessarily making it, but having a team okay. that is that is relevant to the NCAA tournament bubble. Okay. Whether this not, should make a difference or not, I'm not sure. You can tell me what you think. But I'm going to recalibrate uh, that and say four to five because who he is. <sighs> that's tough. Well, yeah, I mean, we don't know. Tough. We don't know what. I mean, yeah. go to the NCAA tournament next year. We don't, that's the thing you said to start the show. I know. We it's have just, no idea what's going to happen. That is that is tough to swallow. If you're if you're telling me you just went through you went through three years of Marvin Menzies and then move on from him because he wasn't close enough to the NCAA tournament, go through two years of Otzelberger where you don't really make a ton of progress, if any at all, and now four or five more years is the timeline. Yeah, it's. It's rough, like if that's what it ends up being. And I think if, if you're a UNLV fan and you hear that, you have reason to think, well, this is a bad hire. If you've got to wait, if you've got to wait five years for them to be relevant to the NCAA tournament, that's a bad hire. Now, again, as we talked about at 7 o'clock, no idea. if they do well in the transfer portal, they could be that team yes. next season. Yes. They, it, that, that is a genuine possibility if they do well in the transfer portal. Because the great thing about basketball is it only takes a couple of players, yes. and if they can land two good ones in the transfer portal, they can they could be an NCAA tournament team next year. I just I think the idea that it would take four or five years is that that's yeah. going to be a that's a rough sell. Like if Desiree and, and she wouldn't give an exact timeline or, or frame like that if, if she was asked that question. Oh no. 
But I don't that, know if I would have Chavez her either. No, like, you wouldn't. Would but you if that, that, but if that were to be even insinuated a little bit, that is tough to sell to your fan base. Yeah, you're exactly right. On you can change it overnight. Uh, this is not uh, slot machines. Every time you get a commitment football, uh, and you don't really know what the hell's <laughs> the going dice on said the yeah, rolling. The di- dice. Oh, is it the dice? I thought it was a slot machine. I'm blocked. I don't know. Did he change the slot machine? I saw a lot of dice. A lot of people excited about the recruits. I look. I'm a believer once uh, Jose, uh, Jorge Rojas, or wh- wh- whatever we're talking about there, he, the ones he committed. Um, <laughs> but uh, Rosas. Rosas, yeah. Rosas. Rosas. Yes, yes, the offensive lineman going to the league. Um, yeah, it, you're quantifying it how I'd quantify it. Not Look, not even get winning league. You'd like to win league. Just get to the NCAA tournament because that's all people care about anyway. If yeah. you tell me Kevin Kruger next year finishes third, gets to the final, and they're good metrically, and they get the NCAA tournament, nah, that's oh, all yeah. people want to care. They don't yeah. care. Oh, you get the banner. Nobody cares, but they just want to get the NCAA tournament. They want to be on the screens we're looking at the Westgate. They want to matter in March. So maybe four to five is too much, like you said. I think if Osterberger, let's see, if you thought Osterberger was three, I'll say Kruger would be four. And I'm not even saying that. I'm saying like who he is, and wh- wh- everything like that. But I'm just, I just thinking out loud of, this is a very respected uh, family at the school. And the other thing we don't know, and this we should put this out there, and I think it would be great. We don't know how many years Lon Kruger has left at Oklahoma. We do know Lon Kruger didn't sell his house here, and it has been said he will come back here with his wife Barb and and, and where all the grand, you know, everyone could be in terms of um, in terms of retiring. How big of a deal that is that to you? In two years, he's. You know, you're not paying him, but he's on the bench. He's at every practice. He's watching film. I mean, wouldn't that be a huge deal for his kid? You're not paying him. He's not. He's well, not, I mean, maybe he says I'll just. Your, well, you mean, have, he's a he's a special assistant. Yeah, to the something head like coach. that. I mean, I I shouldn't say. I'm already talking about don't pay him. He's his agent <laughs> probably like, hey, what the hell are you talking about? We're getting paid. But you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't that be like a huge advantage? Yeah, I mean, it'd be helpful if you're UNLV. Yeah. If Director that's, if of that's Basketball Operations. <laughs> yeah. They have one of those. That's normally a guy that's like 23 years <laughs> yeah. old that's trying to Does trying all to the get hotels and the buses coach. and he yeah. gets paid, yeah. Um, but if, yeah, if you're telling me that, that in a couple of years, Lon Kruger's here as an, an assistant board. or fake assistant, whatever whatever the title is, that he, yeah, that's, that's great if UNLV. The thing is, though, in two years... We're all going to have made up our minds on Kevin Kruger based on how the team is. If they suck over the next two years, nobody's going to want Lon Kruger here to help him. If they're great, then he's just added to it. So, I, yeah, I, I mean, it'd be helpful. I don't know if you're if you're hiring Kevin Kruger. If you're, I don't know if that's make, helping you make any decisions. Is oh maybe Lon can help him out in a couple of years. I don't know if that's any sort of. You know. No, that's not why you hired him or anything. I'm just saying it might be an ancillary benefit to it if it in that fact happens. The best thing I've been waiting for all morning, though, is as I see on the rundown, you're going to yell at UNLV yeah, fans. I yeah. wait for this every week when you yell at UNLV fans. Yeah, so all fans are morons, which is obvious. But um, there's two things that have extremely annoyed me during this coaching search and honestly during the last, like, three UNLV coaching searches. The first one is the insistence from UNLV fans that UNLV hire a coach that will fill up Thomas and Mack because that person doesn't exist because no one shows up to watch a coach, even if they hire Rick Pitino. Yeah, you might come to watch Rick Pitino coach because you're excited about the hype and the new program. If they're 7-8, and eight, you're not showing up anymore. If the team sucks, nobody cares who the coach is. Yeah, but what if they get fi- what if they get 15 straight sales because they're 7-8? and eight? 
Why and then people are like, 15? oh, we can't come anymore, and you went sellouts to like a thousand people overnight. Right. It, well, yeah. Well, okay. So you get 15 <laughs> straight sellouts, and then, oh, they suck again. Right. Nobody's showing up. 15 they've had in years. Right. But you're not hiring a coach to get 15 sellouts. Well, you're hiring a coach to start. win games. <laughs> it's a and, start. And maybe you think Patino can win the games, but the idea that a coach is going to increase attendance more than the first 10 games of the season is stupid. That does no nobody. No, the Golden Knights can sell out every single game they ever play. It's not because of who the coach is behind the bench. It's because they're good. It's because they win a lot. Have People you are not seen showing you up. Lately? Yes. <laughs> And sure, for the first 10 games, <laughs> they would be it's, a ton, it, there's yes. a lot more people there. Yes. But if that team is 4-6 and six after those first 10, nobody's showing up to watch them play Fresno State to open the Mountain West season because Rick Pitino's on the sideline. Can I counter you with Rick Pitino would never be 4-6? and six? <laughs> He might not be, but he's also at Iona, who's not any good right now either. So, I listen, coaches, nobody shows up to watch the coaches. As soon as they start losing or winning, that's what determines if the fans come up. And the second thing... That I want to yell UNLV fans about is this is the Mountain West. You do not have to have some big name, experienced, flashy coach to win in this conference. The last three coaches. Oh, okay, I'm with you on that. Like, yeah, you all, mean you don't have to have Rick Pitino to win the Mountain West? Right. Of all I've yes. heard is yes. UNLV's got to make a, an experienced hire. They need an experienced coach. They need a big name. We've right. got the money. We right. should be hiring a big name. Okay, I'm with you on that. Look at the last three coaches that have dominated this conference over the last five years. Eric Musselman. That was his first head coaching job yeah. at Nevada. Unbelievable job yeah. he did there. Because he Bri- won the portal. Brian Dutcher at San Diego State. Forever an assistant. Yeah, was just a head coach in waiting and was promoted as an assistant. Waited a long right? time. He did wait a long time. <laughs> got promoted as an assistant. Yeah. And now Craig Smith, yeah. who got was is the TJ Otzelberger. I mean, hell, Otzelberger dominated Craig Smith yes. when they were in the Summit League. And UNLV hired the one that was supposedly better, but Craig Smith's been the one that's winning. So the last three coaches to dominate this conference First-time head coach in Musselman, first-time head coach promoter from assistant in Dutcher, and came from the Summit League in Craig Smith. Those have been the best coaches. The highest-profile name coach in this conference right now is Steve Alford. He hasn't had bad teams, but in two years at Nevada, he has not gone to the NCAA tournament. In two years at Nevada, he has not made that team better than they were under Musselman. He hasn't even come close to reaching what Musselman did. He's the biggest-name yeah. coach there. They, they're probably no. going to be really good next year. Really good. But – Having a big-name head coach doesn't no, mean you're going to win in this conference, and it's not even the way you win in this conference. Yeah. Everybody's been doing it with no-name head coaches that they've either promoted or found somewhere. No, I'm with you on that. I mean, you know, who is the, you know, who was, who's been the biggest-name coach in the history of the league? Fisher. And then after him, Alford, yeah. probably. Probably right? Steve Alford. I'm trying to think back at the coaches in this league, but yeah. Fisher and Alford. Maybe, Lon, I mean, Lon Kruger oh, coached Lon in Kruger. the NBA. Okay, Lon Kruger, yeah, coached in the NBA. So, um, no, you're exactly right on that. I, I, but again, the whole winning the press conference and all of that, I mean, let me ask you this, and it's on Zoom today. Does she win the press conference today, and does that matter to you? Doesn't everybody win the press conference? Uh, it's hard to lose the press conference. <laughs> There's not really an opponent. Well, the fans are the opponent. The media is the opponent. Well, like yeah, the people, but the people are reacting the press, to the press. The, the press, press is the, the journal review. The opponent. I mean, Tyler Bischoff from the press box. Or I, the ESPN the Las Vegas <laughs> Journal Review <laughs> I assume, I assume. Oh, I think she wins today. I, I'm just, I'm just going on emails I've had. You've probably had emails, responses, Twitter. I mean, we had a few calls earlier that didn't like it, but for the majority, I don't know what your reaction been, but my reaction's been people who really like it. Well, the the overwhelming amount of people that actually respond and yell about things are angry about it. 
that right. they, they think it's a terrible hire. But, like, I put out a poll on Twitter. Are you happy with Kevin Kruger? What were the Kruger? results? 73.7% said yes. Okay. So I, I think they're going to have no problem winning the press conference because I think it, we're going to have people at 1030 today, whenever this press conference ends, that are like, oh, I'm fired up. He said all the right things, and none, none of that matters because winning no. the press conference is irrelevant. But, yeah, I, I think that's not going to be an issue. I think they're going to do just fine doing that. Now, how does Desiree Francois answer questions about how the coaching search went might be the interesting part of this because – if it turns out, oh, we kind of just hired Kevin Kruger and that we didn't do much else uh, homework behind it, I don't know how she'll answer the questions so to, to I'm explain gonna, the search. I don't know much, but I'm going to preview. I don't think it's, that's her answer. I doubt it is. <laughs> I doubt that's her answer, yes. But if if she doesn't, cause she's got to... Con- be great if it's her answer, though. <laughs> the, the, the number one thing Desiree Francois has to do today to appease UNLV fans is make sure they think it was like a legitimate search and it wasn't just, oh, Otzelberger left and we hired Kevin Kruger. But what if it was? A legitimate search? Yeah. I mean, I assume it was. No, that's a, no. What yeah. I'm saying, yeah, like they, they, she went outside. She had interviews with other people, uh, and he just came in, and he was the best right. guy in the interview. And there's very well chance he could have been. I don't know. I assume that's what happened, but there's a lot of UNLV fans that don't think that's what happened. And to me, that's that's one of the things she needs to do today is convince those UNLV fans that no, this was a legitimate search. We conducted. You know, we interviewed five people, you know, and, and Kevin Kruger was the best for the job. Well, however, however she goes about doing that, I think that's what she has to do today. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs, and we're going to jump into why exactly does the Mountain West suck in the NCAA tournament? Bischoff's Briefs. Math is the real world, okay? It's everywhere. Bischoff's Briefs. There is nothing about this I understand. Bischoff's Briefs. So I guess my biggest problem is I've been cursed with the ability to do the math. Bischoff's Briefs. Iowa and Oregon are underway. It's the last day of the second round. We're out here at the West Gate if you want to come down and check out the action here on day four of the NCAA tournament. There are no Mountain West teams playing anymore. Uh, you cannot see them today because the Mountain West is not any good in the NCAA tournament. Utah State lost to Texas Tech by 12. San Diego State lost to Syracuse by 16. Uh, and a couple of fun facts for you, Ed. No Mountain West team has ever made the Elite Eight since the conference was formed. And the Mountain West has the fourth worst win percentage of any conference as a double-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. So when you're seeded 10 through 16, what is your win percentage? The Mountain West has the fourth worst winning percentage, uh, meaning they don't pull off upsets like Utah State would have needed to do to beat Texas Tech. Now, I tend to believe the NCAA tournament is like one of the least valuable ways to evaluate coaches or teams because making it in is good, but the results in the tournament, its you're playing one-off games. Like, does, did Ohio State have a bad season because they lost to Oral Roberts, right? It, it's dumb to take one or two-game samples and apply, like, serious analysis. But for the Mountain West, this is more than a few small sample size, right? The Mountain West is two decades old, and this conference hasn't produced in the NCAA tournament. And since the Mountain West became a conference, since it was formed, the Final Four has seen teams from 12 different conferences. 
So that includes the Power Five conferences and the Big East. But you're also talking about the Missouri Valley, the WCC, the American, the Colonial has had two different teams go, the Horizon, Conference USA. All of those conferences have put a team into the Final Four since the Mountain West was formed, and the Mountain West has not. This is a conference that just, they get to the NCAA tournament, and they, they don't get it done. Like whether it's their good teams to go, or even if it's their, they don't pull off any upsets. They're 1-19 all-time as a double-digit seed. 1-19. They don't ever win when they're an 11 seed or a 12 seed. They lose the first chance they get. I actually thought I was talking to someone else because we didn't get to see the 32 and 2 San Diego State team last year. I think they would have been a two seed, won the first game, and have been in major trouble in the second round. You think so? They, well, they would have gotten a power five school. They would have gotten a power five yeah. school, and I think they would have been in major trouble. I really do. I don't think they would have got out of the second round. I don't. I. I I don't know what it is with this league. Um, you know, I think Musselman's team, I'm thinking back to Fisher Sweet 16 team with Jamal Franklin. I still think Musselman had the best chance with his Nevada teams, and they never got out of the 16. And it's, I know it's about matchups and who do you play and all that, but the evidence keeps cropping up each year. You, you threw out some numbers where it's not a two-year sample. No. And they have not been yeah. good in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and so the, the Musselman team that went to the Sweet 16 in Nevada yes. – they lost to Loyola. Like that that was the that was the bummer for them because they got the upset over Cincinnati and then right. they lost to Loyola. And if you remember that was the year um, uh, Loyola, I think it was Kansas State after that who wasn't very good that season. Like they they, they, got up, to the eight, they, they knocked off the one seed. That yeah. was the Elite Eight matchup yeah. was Loyola and Kansas State. Kansas State was either the four or the five. Like that region with a lot of upsets, a path was paved to the final for four and Loyola took it, Nevada didn't. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just it's a conference that, that doesn't produce anything once you get to the NCAA tournament. And, like, here's the other part of this is, like, this season in particular, Craig Thompson gets a lot of heat, well, every year. But this season, the Mountain West and Craig Thompson got a lot of blame for scheduling the makeup games and forcing, right, right. oh, Boise State had to go play right. Fresno. UNLV, and, and, San Diego State. Right, and Colorado yeah. State had to play Nevada. and. Right. You know, did that, that did that loss to Nevada keep Colorado State out of the NCAA tournament because they were the second team out this year? It, it might have. Boise State, they failed a lot down the stretch. Right, it wasn't right. just one game that cost them. But, you know, Craig Thompson it didn't do him any favors, didn't help the conference get teams in. That's one thing is to help teams get in. But, like, when you look at this, when you're 1-19 all-time as double-digit seeds, when you've never had a Final Four team, I don't. You can't blame that on Craig Thompson. No. Like once the teams are in, like take Craig care Thompson, of business, right? Beat somebody like, win a game, and then that's to me that's the that's been the biggest problem in the Mountain West. Has the conference been great in helping the teams? No, but like the actual teams, the actual coaches themselves have not been good enough in this conference. And even when they've had good teams back in the year that they put five teams in, what New Mexico was like a three seed that year and got and lost in the first or second round of the NCAA tournament. Like Alford had, I think Steve Alford, what do you have four NCAA tournament teams in New Mexico? Yes. And I think all of them were six seeds or better. And he never made the sweet 16. I know that because four times I took a picture from my, on my phone with him sitting up at the dais with a net around his neck. Cause it was like maybe the greatest picture ever when he continued to cut down a net. And for whatever reason, Come to the press, and not a kid. If a kid does it, okay. The kid's a goofy kid. Every every time Alford stole the net from his kids and put it around, stole his neck. the net from and his kids. And I'm like, it's like, okay, there he comes. He's coming in with the net around. That's why Nevada might be picked to win the league next year. Uh, if he gets those guards come back, the guys he has sitting out, they're going to be really, really good. I only want them to win to see if he'll do the net in a blue jacket instead of a red one. Puts the net on with a blue jacket. Yeah, it'll be beautiful. Gets a four seed, loses yes, in the first loses round. Loses the first round, exactly. <laughs> loses the first round.
Now, one, one other thing on the Mountain West in the NCAA tournament, in particular to this year, because to go back to the small sample size, San Diego State's game against Syracuse is the best example yeah. of what is this stupid tournament that we watch every year. Because San Diego State this year was a top 50 team in the country in three-point percentage. They were, shooting, yeah. they were an excellent yeah. shooting team this season. They shot 28% they from three. 40 from the <laughs> They shot 28% from three against Syracuse. They were awful. They could terrible. not hit a three. Jordan Shackle hit like 50-something yeah, percent of his threes this year. Couldn't hit one. Syracuse made 56% of its threes in that game. That is the highest percentage of threes Syracuse has made in the last four seasons. Last four seasons, they Bloody made 56% buckets. of their threes. Against what had been a good defensive team. Right, and, and yeah, San Diego State was good defensively. And that, like, that is the example of... The NCAA tournament and one-game sample sizes because, sure, you can blame good or bad defense for some of it, but 56% from three is ridiculous. Even if you're playing the worst defense in the country, 56% from three is absurd. And for San Diego State, to shoot under 30 is pretty absurd as well. And for both of those to happen in the same game is why the NCAA tournament happens and why we're sitting here talking about Oral Roberts playing in the Sweet 16. You see some of the deep ones from Buddy Beheim. Oh man! I mean, he hit some like it's like all right. I mean, you know, it's he, he's a really good player, incredible shooter, but man, he was out there deep on some of those. And what are you gonna do? It's like all right, you made that thing. It's like a Steph Curry three. He's hit like what was it, oh, 13, 14 in two games. Yeah, he's because they didn't stop. No, they didn't no, stop in the next no. game. They were like, no, yeah. West Virginia didn't stop either. Yeah, he had like twenty keep something points. Threes. And that's. And now they're sitting here in the Sweet 16 because they and and the, the funny part about Syracuse is everybody's like, oh, their zone defense, and teams don't know how to beat it. It's not their defense. Their offense has been unbelievable Look, this year, and they've been they can't miss a three. I do think San Diego State fell into the trap of they, they got nervous. They got against the zone. They started jacking threes. They just got nervous. I watched the entire game yesterday. West Virginia didn't have a didn't struggle getting shots against the zone. In fact, no. on the first nine trips, I counted like seven times they got it in the post. Yeah, they missed a lot of shots, so it wasn't a zone. Yeah, it was Buddy Bayham went crazy again in the second half, and and West Virginia missed a ton of shots. It wasn't yeah. like oh the zone. It didn't. I'll tell you what, it didn't bother West Virginia like it did San Diego State. No, they, West Virginia had no problem getting inside. No, the the zone like the the zone defenses. The the problem with like evaluating offenses against a zone is when you have a bad possession against a zone defense, it looks horrible. Like it looks yes. like you've never played. San Diego State had like 42 It of those. looks like you've never yes, played exactly. the sport before. Yes. Whereas if you have a bad possession against man, you often still get a guy driving, trying to go one-on-one, which isn't too bad. But a bad possession against a zone looks like you've never played the sport before. And if you, over the course of a game, have 60 possessions, if you have 15 of those bad possessions, you look, you, you, that's all you remember when you look back at the team. You're like, oh, wow, they had, they had, they looked terrible against the zone, even if it was only 15 possessions at the end of the day. But San Diego State, six seed, they should should have been winning, uh, should, have, looked, should have won a game. and They, they looked they like they never not. played against a yeah. high school zone. They, were just, they got so panicked. I'm sorry. I think we both would have said at the beginning of the game if they said, okay, San Diego State's taking 43s. I said, oh, well, they're not winning that. <laughs> I mean, they took 43s yeah. against us. I was like, uh, right then, it's like, okay, how much is Syracuse winning by? Poor, uh, poor Matt Mitchell. He was like 0 for 7 to start here, from 3. There, you know, the, I mean, the very first, they run a screen for Shackle on the, on the baseline. The first He misses it badly. Then they come down, they hit another. And you could just see, oh, man, they're going to get caught up in this. They're not taking, they're not making extra pass. They're just, they're going to get nervous. And then Syracuse starts hitting shots, and it just kind of snowballed, and they're terrible. terrible. All right. Coming up next, to talk about San Diego State and the rest of the Mountain West. We'll talk to Mark Ziegler.
live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. This is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now from the San Diego Union Tribune is Mark Ziegler. Mark, how are you today? Mark? I'm doing okay. Back from Indy. Yeah. Back in San Diego. Can't complain. Quick Did you wear the mask the whole time? Uh, not in Indy. Don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> completely open. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't care about masks, did they? You, you, you texted me yesterday. You saw some kid in a, in a trucker hat that said, don't care on it. Obviously, they're pretty yeah, no. open in Indianapolis. Let me paint the picture for you. Kids about, you know, you got to understand, Ed and I call everybody kids. This guy is probably 68 years old. <laughs> He's got a Santa Claus beard. He's got this big gut, right? He's wearing a T-shirt, kind of waddling through the store. No mask on. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a Flying J truck stop on I-65. And, and he's got a hat that just says, don't care. So I get up. I get up to the cashier, and, and I say, you know, i got to ask. I'm from California. I'm not judging here. Uh, I'm not big on masks. But, you know, do you guys just, like, when guys roll in here without masks, because half the people in line didn't have masks on, I said, do you just don't care? What's the deal? She goes, if I didn't have to wear a mask in my job, I wouldn't wear one. And then I got this whole lecture about how the vaccines don't work and why would you get one. <laughs> You're trying to get a soda. She starts screaming at you. Yeah. Oh. So it's a different deal there. And, uh, you know, but if someone coming from someone who is vaccinated, uh, uh, I'm all for not wearing masks anymore. <laughs> so why does the Mountain West suck in the Mountain West or in the NCAA tournament? That's a good word to use. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Two couple of thoughts. First of all, the sample size isn't huge, so it's hard to draw real definitive conclusions. Uh, but, you know, the stat that sticks out to me, their last eight games against Power 5 opponents in the, in the, in the tournament, they're 1-7. and seven. And the closest of those games has been nine points. The average is 13.6 of the losses. And the one win is, uh, I forgot who the one win is, but uh, oh, my, and Nevada against Texas, close game, uh, squeaked it out. So, you know, obviously there's a problem here. And, I mean, the first thing is athleticism, I think. Uh, and you saw that with San Diego State uh, against Syracuse. I mean, San Diego State's considered one of the more athletic teams in the Mount West, uh, and they were just overwhelmed. Then you saw that clearly with Utah State against Texas Tech. I mean, Craig Smith said, he goes, look, every one of their players, one through five, bigger, faster, stronger. You know, okay, Kate is taller, but, you know, the guy who's guarding him is just as stronger, stronger, and is faster. And at a certain point, if you coach a certain way, you can kind of harness that athleticism in the right manner, whether it's 2-3 zone, whether it's just a ferocious scrambling defense, uh, it's going to wear you down, and you're not going to have a chance. So I, I think that's the main thing. And, I, and the second point I would say is I think kind of like how UNLV is stuck back in the 90s with Tark, I think that Mount West is stuck back in 2013 when they got five teams in the tournament, and they still think that they're this same conference, and they're not. They're basically a one-bid conference that masquerades as a two-bid conference every few years. Um, but it's not the same conference. The level is not the same. Uh, and when you know these teams beat up at each other, everybody thinks, oh, well, they're really good. Well, no, they're just average teams beating up on each other, and that's kind of the reality. So a stat for you here on the double-digit seeds and not being able to pull off any upsets. Um, you, uh, the Mountain West is 1-19 all-time as a double-digit seed, and that is the fourth-worst win percentage of any conference as a double-digit seed. Why can a team from the Summit League like Oral Roberts overcome those athleticism problems, but the Mountain West can't? 
And that's a good question. I don't know if I have the answer to that. I mean, I, you know, I mean, maybe it's it, it's just the, you know the reality of. I think when those when those teams from the Summit League or or you see some of these upsets um, where teams come out of nowhere and win a game, um, they're such underdogs and they recognize the issues. They recognize the athleticism issues, and they maybe they change the way they play it a little bit and and alter their um, their strategy and. You know, and approach the, the tournament game differently. I'm not sure the Mountain West teams do. I think they just go in there thinking, well, we're as good as all these other teams, so we're just going to play and beat them. And I don't know if you can do that. I, I think you have to acknowledge what you are. And that's a, you know, a good major league, but not, uh, you're not on the level of a power conference team. I mean, this is, you know, San Diego State, the last three times they have played ACC teams in the tournament, uh, they have lost by, I think, 17, 19, and 16 points. And none of the games were close. Now, one of those games was against top-seeded Duke, and the entire San State team had uh, food poisoning. So, okay, you give them a, a pass on that one. Everyone's going to lose that Duke team. And, you know, Justice Winslow, and, and it was just loaded team. But, you know, the two others were against nine and seven teams in the ACC. One was against a North Carolina State team that was just loaded with, you know, had underachieved all year and stuck in a tournament, but just had big, strong guys. And then the Syracuse team that finished eighth in the, in the ACC, and it wasn't close. So I, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of an acknowledgement issue in the league, and, and I don't know, you know, what are your thoughts? Why do you think this is? I have no idea. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you why for some reason the Mountain West, which is uh, of all the mid-major conferences, I mean, it, it's one of the best. You would think they would be one of the conferences that would, hey, they're the 12 seed that always wins because they're one of the better mid-major conferences. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know why even when they have a better seed, when it's San Diego State as a sixth seed or when it's Nevada getting to play Loyola for a chance to go to the Elite Eight, why they can't win those games. I, it's, it's bizarre to me that they're not good enough. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, and it's something that I, I, I'd love to ask Craig Thompson, what's the plan here? You know, what are your ideas on this, Craig? I mean, what are you going to do to rectify this? Because this is costing them money at the end of the day, and everything in college athletics is about money. You know, I mean, it's a business. And every time they lose one of these games, it costs them millions and millions of dollars over the next six years. And here we are again, two teams in, two teams out, you know, no extra, no extra revenue from the NCAA tournament. And that becomes kind of a, a vicious cycle because now you don't return as much money to the programs and – and then those programs can't reinvest into their basketball programs, and, and you know they, they can't get better, and they can't get sort of off the uh, off the wheel. So it's it's a it's a terrible situation. They got to do something, though. I mean, someone's got to step up and win. And never had an elite eight team either from this conference ever. It's a uh, it's a league that's going to probably see some coaching changes. And one addition, uh, he'll be introduced here in about 20 minutes. Kevin Kruger stays at home and is the UNLV head coach. When you heard about it, what did you think? You know, I, I don't know Kevin really well. I've heard him on your show a few times. I've seen him, you know, in the arenas. I think he's a nice guy. Um, but my initial thought is UNLV, you know, when you're hiring an assistant who's never been a head coach, there's a risk involved. I think everyone can agree on that. I don't think UNLV is a program that needs to take that risk. I think they're in a position where they can not have to take that risk. doesn't mean he'll be a bad coach, but it's a risk. And it could be a disaster. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see how well he can recruit. I, you know, his reputation, of, uh, from what I know, among coaches is not as a recruiter. Uh, and so that's going to be an interesting thing to see if he can close on recruits. Um, and, again, UNLV has to also acknowledge that it's not 1990, but that doesn't mean you have to go cheap and hire an assistant coach. 
off of a losing staff. And so, uh, it, it's a, you know, I can tell you this. I, I've been talking to a lot of coaches and agents around the country outside the Mountain West, and they're kind of laughing. They're, they're just really puzzled by the hire. Um, they all like him. They're all rooting for him, but they just think it's a, a curious, curious hire. Uh, does Brian Dutcher end up taking the Minnesota job, or do you think he sticks around in San Diego? I think we'll know in the next couple of days. Uh, I, I do know, um, and I kind of hinted this in a story I wrote over the weekend, that, that Minnesota, you know, it's one thing for the media to say, okay, Brian Dutch is a candidate for the job, but I do know he is a candidate for the job. Uh, they are interested in him. Um, the way Minnesota, I think, is approaching it is they're kind of trying to get one coach from every kind of bucket, you know, and this is maybe something that Dez didn't do. Um, and so they're looking at a really good assistant in the, Mount, in, in, uh, the Iowa assistant, Jensen, you know, out of, out of the Big Ten. And then they're looking at a guy like Craig Smith, you know, a good up-and-coming younger coach. Um, and then looking at the experienced, known entity, has done it at all different levels, you know, ties to the alma mater in Brian Dutcher. And they'll probably look at maybe a pro coach, maybe a Ryan Saunders will be in the mix. And so they're going to look at all those guys, and I think they're going to interview them all. Um, and then they'll make a decision. So it doesn't mean Dutch is going to be the guy, but I do know there is quite a bit of interest on their end for him. And I also think there's interest in Dutch and Stain. I, I, I think he's not, you know, doesn't have one foot out the door. I think he really, really likes it here. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see what the university does in the next couple of days in terms of stepping up, if they can at all, um, in, during the pandemic, step up with a, with a contract uh, revision or restructuring or, or extension or whatever you want to call it. By the way, how did Brian Dutcher have the leverage to get his buyout different specifically for the Minnesota job? Well, he went 30-2. and two. That's pretty good leverage. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I think when I talked to the athletic director about it last year, he said, he goes, look, it's, it's home. It's something that we can't compete with. We can compete with a lot of things. We can say, look, we have a really good program here. We think our program is better than a lot of high major programs. Uh, we have great facilities. We have great community support. You know, this is the team here. This and the Padres is the team in town. This is like a NBA team, the way it's treated now. Um, and so he can offer all those things. He can offer quality of life. He can offer stability, you know, <clears throat> all those things. <clears throat> the one thing he can't offer is the Pole of Williams Arena, where Brian Dutcher, the little kid, grew up. And he was a student manager and where his dad coached. And I think the AD knew that, and when Brian asked for it, he didn't really resist it. And, and he felt like, you know, if he really wanted to go, and I don't want to block him from going home if that's what he really wants. And, uh, and so I think that's how Brian got it. Now, you know, when you're 30-2, and two, you can ask for a lot of things. Um, and, you know, if the pandemic didn't hit last year, um, you know, with Brian's old contract, it would have been really interesting to see who came after him. I mean, I think a lot of programs might have been able been in a position to make a move where there was an Arizona um, you know, maybe a couple other big programs that ended up keeping their guys um, would have come after him, and, and they wouldn't have had uh, a new contract. Uh, you know, and he, and he would have been really attractive, and it would have been interesting to see uh, what would have happened. But, you know, that they wanted to lock him up, and this is the best they could do. Uh, and they did lock him up, $6.9 million for everybody else. Well, he is Mark Ziegler from the San Diego Union-Tribune. And, uh, yeah, you might have to cover a coaching search because a head coach uh, – Went back to his dream job. We're used to that here, so good luck with that if it happens. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. All right, I'll talk to you guys here. <laughs> so there is Mark Ziegler. Uh, that'd be. Would you be shocked if he doesn't go back to Minnesota? Like if he gets offered it, you think he's he's taking it for sure? I don't think he's taking it for sure. I think that. 
I think the quality of your life stuff, he's 61. He's going to be at San Diego State probably as long as he wants. I, it sounds crazy because of the money, but I'd almost be surprised if he took it. I think they'll come up in money. They're not going to reach the Big Ten money. He knows that. But they'll make him, which he should already be, by the way. They'll make him the highest-paid coach in the league. And I think with what he has there, and the, like you said, they'd extend him for more years, and I think he'll stay in and coach it out in San Diego. I'd be I'd be curious to see the difference between like the what, money? what Minnesota would offer versus what San Diego State could come to. Because, listen, we always talk about, well, you take more money, but if it's – there's there's other things people consider important, mm-hmm. and if it's you know three hundred thousand dollar difference, then you might it might not be worth it. Now right. if it's now if it's one point three million, then yeah, eh, yeah, I'm yeah. probably going to coach anywhere if it's right. one point three million difference. So I'd, I'd be curious to see what if Dutcher doesn't take it, what his new salary Contract would be at be. San Diego right. State versus what whoever does take that job. Let's say gets. it's Craig Smith or something. What he gets. Yeah, it, you know, is Craig Smith talking about a $2.3 million right. deal and Dutcher gets one four or 5 Okay, I could understand not taking it. If Craig Smith is getting two six and Dutcher's at 1-2, then, then it's like, oh, what did Brian Dutcher do yeah, if he turned that difference. down? Because exactly. that's, that's a lot of money. All right, coming up next. What are we doing next? I don't know, but the NC tournament's on, and we're missing a fun one. This team. This is a great game, Iowa by the and way. Oregon are going to go to 100. What a great game. William Hill is giving you a free 50 bucks to bet when you sign up for a new mobile sports account. Use the promo code GET50, that is G-E-T-5-0. And then when you make a minimum of $50 in sports bets, you'll get a free $50 in your account from William Hill. You get a free 50 bucks, and you can place all your bets straight from your phone. It's bet50, get50. Just remember the promo code GET50. For more details, visit williamhill.us. And Lon Kruger erupts. So coming up at 10 o'clock, the Lon Kruger introductory, excuse me, the Kevin Kruger introductory (laughs) press conference. What do you know? What do you know, Tyler? (laughs) Will start. We're going to carry that uh, press conference live here on ESPN Las Vegas. So if you want to hear the Kevin Kruger introductory press conference, just stay right here. This we will we will take you right into it at 10 o'clock uh, whenever that gets going. How good is this Oregon-Iowa game? We're out here at Jeez. the West Gates. Uh, <laughs> as Oregon and Iowa, there's still two and a half minutes left in the first half. It is 46 uh, to 42. 40 to 46 40 to 44. 44. Uh, this is legitimately Jeez. like they're on pace for 100 points, uh, which is phenomenal because the entire NCAA tournament has been filled with games where it's the first team to 60 is the one that ends up winning the game. So... This one has been great so awesome. far. Um, I'm just assuming neither team is any good at defense. Uh, Amori Hardy has not scored yet for well, Oregon, though. No, we, we know that because Iowa has outscored the uh, Iowa bench outscored Oregon 17-0. <laughs> so Amori Hardy at this point has not scored for the Ducks. Amori Hardy and uh, none of his teammates yes, coming off the bench have scored yet for Oregon. Uh, last thing I want to touch on with Kevin Kruger, because I, I think we'll find out this information soon. But what do you think his salary is going to be? Like, what do we think the pay is looking like for Kevin Kruger? Uh, we will know that because uh, they'll have to announce the contract, like you said. Uh, I'm, I think we're in the same range, you and I, 7 to 7.50. I think the number will start with a 7. It's, it's interesting because Otzelberger. What was he? He was next year was going to make 1.3, and it, and it went up to 1.4 and then 1.5. But he must have committed a million. He, he started at 1.1. 1. 1. Okay. He started 1.1. 1. 1, it went up to 1.5 okay. by the end of the deal. <laughs> so UNLV had, you know, budgeted, we assume for, paying their coach $1.3 million this upcoming season. 
Plus, they got the three point. Uh, I think it ended up being three point six million dollar buyout from Iowa, Iowa State. State. So, presumably, there was plenty of money to pay the next coach a million plus more. and and more because if you use that buyout to whatever you're going to do with your coach now. They're in a pandemic. Maybe they viewed that buyout money as, hey, we've got more important needs we need to use this for. I don't really know. But I, I, I don't think you can – I don't think you hire Kevin Kruger and give him 1-1 one, one or 1-2. One, no, You're hiring no, Kevin Kruger no. and it's seven or $800,000 yeah. would yeah. be my guess. Well, so, I'd hope they'd put an, any extra money. I've got to be honest with you because I think this is a huge, huge uh, deal out there is who's his staff – and to get really good recruiters, really good people, you know this, you got to pay them. Yeah. Those dudes make money. If you say, I'm a guy who can go get you players, they're going to get paid. Well, it was it was the big talking point when they hired Marcus Arroyo was that, oh, we're, we're in, or increasing the, the pool to hire assistant coaches. So it it is important. It's probably more important in football than it is in basketball right. just because the sheer volume of right. them. But it is important to have good assistants. And I'm, I'm curious – does he keep Tim Buckley, DeMarlo Slocum, the two assistants around? Does Ooh, either, yeah, he'd have to add someone. Do either one of them go with the TJ to Iowa State? I don't. I know TJ said he was keeping one of the assistants that was at Iowa State on staff. I haven't seen anything else about his staff at Iowa State and if he's taking DeMarlo Slocum or Tim Buckley. So curious what the staff looks like, curious what the contract looks like, the length too. Usually it's between four and six years when you hire a new coach. Curious to see what that is because – Here's the thing. You give Kevin Kruger six years. We talked about it earlier. How long does he have to win? If you give a coach six years, then that gives him even more time. Um, oh, and Why also would curious you just to give see the coach ten years. Also curious to see the buyout as well. What does the buyout look like on Kevin Kruger? Uh, how much would they have to pay if they do fire Kevin Kruger? How much does he owe UNLV if he does leave? I'm guessing the buyouts are going to be pretty small on this contract. I think it's five years. Six would surprise me for a guy who's never been head coach, but I could see five at like seven, seven fifty a year. I mean, there'd be incremental increases, right? I d- there'd be incentives like they all have: make the NCAA tournament, make the Final Four. I mean, I, those have to be in there. So five years, first year at seven, years two, three, and four at seven fifty, and year five at eight hundred, yeah. and. The buyout is going to be UNLV will have to pay him. We'll say half of the remaining salary, and you mean if, if they moved on from him? Yes, if they fire him, and if he gets another job, they won't owe him anything. Okay. So like, so if, what he, would if someone he gets, have to, what would someone have to pay to hire him? What would they have to pay back? So his buyout leaving, I assume that would also be pretty small. Because TJ least, was what? Three, at least two? compared to Otzelberger. Otzelberger's was 75% of his remaining okay. salary. Oh, okay, okay, so okay, it ended okay, up right. being 3 6 based okay. on when he got fired. Or when he left, I mean. Right. So I'm guessing it, it's going to be somewhere. In, it, it might still be 75% again, but that's going to be significantly less because the contract value is significantly less. So I, th- I think you're talking about a much lower dollar salary. And a much, everything's going to be lower than it was for Otzelberger when... Which, you know, as a head coach of the NCAA tournament, should be, he was a head coach of right. the NCAA tournament. Yeah, should had, be that. had success coming yeah, over exactly. from South Dakota State. And for Kevin Kruger, first-time head coach, it's, uh, it's going to be cheaper for UNLV. So. Well... Look, in football, you're right, and I've got to be honest. I think you'd agree with this. I don't like. I don't know what every assistant makes, but I got to believe the pool was set forth for a guy like the assistant who signed Rosas. <laughs> you got it right this time. Did I? You didn't say Rojas. You said oh, Rosas. Rosas. Whoever Rosas. signed that kid, that's why you need a bigger pool. Oh, his... you sign NFL players. Anthony Rosas, the lead Come recruiter on. there, he's got to go ask for a raise, Absolutely. doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> to, to what happened to that money in the pool? To be honest with UNLV football, they haven't had 
They haven't had a player drafted since 2010. Football. Football. The next UNLV football player that gets drafted, whoever was his lead recruiter, should absolutely, absolutely go ask for a raise. Even if that guy is now at, at another a different school. school. Like, he what if that go guy is at a different UNLV school? And say, <laughs> I would like a hundred thousand dollars. Or if they're honest, they'll just call him. Hey Jim, how you been? Listen, we're going to send you. A, we're going to send you a check for a hundred thousand dollars because the guy you got six years ago has now been drafted. Because uh. they have one of the longest streaks. <laughs> In all of football. So if you as a coach land the guy that goes to the NFL or gets ah. drafted in the NFL, you you get a raise. And Absolutely. that could be Anthony Rosas. At least Anthony Rosas thinks that's going to be him. So UNLV is introducing Kevin Kruger. That's coming up uh, in about four minutes. You can hear it here on ESPN Las Vegas as we are out here at the Westgate for the fourth day of the NCAA tournament. Oregon leading Iowa right now towards the end Great of game. the first half. Yeah. In a very high-scoring game. game, they're now up by eight points Jeez, on Iowa. Is, is the Pac-12 this good? Is Oregon this good? I mean, I saw them a few times this year. They're playing out of their minds right now. Like, if if Oregon wins this, you're talking about a seven seed from the Pac-12 beating a two seed from the Big Ten. But not only that, the Pac-12 would remain undefeated, undefeated in, the in this tournament. They'd have another uh, seven seed now in the Sweet 16 to join Oregon State as a 12 seed. And on the flip side, the Big Ten would now have seven of their nine teams going home before the Sweet 16. And the only two left still play today are Michigan, a one seed, and Maryland, a 10 seed. Like, if Oregon holds on to this, the Big Ten's going from having like, oh, we could get two, three teams in the Final Four to that's it. you get two teams in the Sweet 16, maybe? Like, that's legitimately, like, What's your pick of the day? USC over Kansas? Yeah, I think USC is going to beat Kansas. I think that happens today. Um, I'm I'm fascinated to see UCLA and Abilene Christian. I am too. I am too. Like, you get an 11 versus yeah. 14, but it's a yeah. blue blood program. Hopefully Abilene Christian wins and that walk-on can do horns down again. 